EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. We got a special episode today. EM Board Bombs, this is where board studying continues to be fun and enjoyable. My name is Blake Briggs. I'm joined today by the venerable Travis Smith. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for having me back, Blake. Absolutely. Good to have you. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the STEM, stay for the content. Please sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes. We have an awesome airway module that thousands of people are doing now. So we're excited to have uh, continued growth of the podcast here. And you can go check out all this stuff at our website, www.emboardbombs.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. And today we're joined by the one and only Dr. Robert Centaur. Professor Emeritus of Medicine in the Division of Internal Medicine, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Just a few hours north of me right now. Just a few. He has over 30 years of clinical experience. Dr. Centaur finished his undergrad work at the University of Virginia. He finished medical school at the Medical College of Virginia. And he has served as the president of the Society for Medical Decision Making, the Association of Chiefs of General Internal Medicine, and the Society for General Internal Medicine. He is the Chair Emeritus of the American College of Physicians, and his research interests have focused in the area of medical decision-making, diagnosis, and management of adult sore throat. He has also had a strong interest in clinical problem-solving. He currently has a large interest in podcasting. He's a dedicated blogger, dedicated podcaster. He hosts the Annals on Call podcast. He also appears on multiple other podcasts as well. Recently, he's just been on a spurt of different podcasts, and we are fortunate to fit in his busy schedule. For the record, though, he did save the best one for last. So it's an honor to have you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is the epitome of uh, my podcast uh, experiences. <laughs> Absolutely. You never thought you would be on a uh, emergency medicine podcast talking about the Centaur criteria. Uh, I actually did the original studies in the emergency department. I used to work. There you go. This is the best oxymoron of all time, the non-acute emergency room. <laughs> that's one way to put it i can't tell you how surreal it is that, that i'm i'm on internal medicine boards i'm on step two step three yeah. family medicine boards em boards that's really weird <laughs> let, let me say there was no plan that this was going to be a big deal right. this was a right. little study i did when i was chief resident right right yeah, it's funny how those things start as uh, just something you enjoy, and then it just makes a career out of it. Hey, well, let's dive right into it. Um, you know, we're also we're all known at Ian Boardbombs for going straight to the point here. And uh, you mentioned it first, and I've listened to many of uh, Annals on Call podcasts as well as previous episodes where you've been talking in depth about the Centaur criteria. But you know, we have to unfortunately we have to go through it one more time. <laughs> I know you're probably bored talking about it. <laughs> I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Just spit out the criteria, and my wife wakes up and says, what the hell is going on? Centaur of one, just no testing. Exactly. <laughs> so there, there are four components that really represent three different things that go on with sore throats. There's mm -hmm. lack of a cough, because cough is correlated with viral uh, symptoms, uh, viral URIs, and uh, bacterial are not. Uh, then there's a history of a fever, and we found paradoxically that the history of a fever was better than the temp in the emergency department. 
Hmm. And so when the patient says they had a fever, believe them. Now, if they have a temp there in the emergency department, that counts also, obviously. Then hmm. tonsillar exudase is really your absolute best predictor. And I'm not talking about little tiny uh, exudates. I'm talking about those big juicy ones. And then that also <laughs> correlates with uh, tender anterior cervical adenopathy. It's really important as a emergency room physician when you get to adolescents and young adults to distinguish between anterior adenopathy and posterior because posterior is much more likely to be viral, makes you think of mono, acute HIV, things like that. Get one point for each. Uh, I get real excited by threes and fours. Here's the number one thing that I hope everybody remembers. Every single guideline in the world, so if you have a zero or a one, don't do a test, don't treat with antibiotics, just pat them on the back, give them symptomatic treatment. And then yeah, we can absolutely. argue about what to do with the two threes and fours. Sure. Yeah, that, that area receives the most debate, I think. But just to reiterate what you're saying and link it to boards, uh, from the practice questions I've seen, from the questions I get from our listeners, and what I've seen, uh, we collaborate, by the way, Bob, with ASEP Peer Review. And uh, from what I've seen with collaborating with them, uh, this certainly comes up on their board tests. You have to calculate a centaur on the test, and, and they're always going to trick you. They're always going to trap those people who just throw antibiotics or rapid test everyone. And the zero to one, uh, yeah, had no further testing. Great. Now, I know from what I've heard in the past, your original research was in the ER, as you said, in the non-acute ER, and you were taking care of young adult patients. Typically, your score was developed for young adults greater than 15 years old. And here's another thing that most people forget, and uh, I certainly have had residents forget this, and I think it's forgotten in, in the emergency department sometimes. This only applies to acute sore throats. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's been sick for zero, one, two, or three days. Once you get beyond that, it's an entirely different differential, and mm-hmm. you should not use the Centaur score, but rather think about it in a totally different way. Sure, absolutely. That is a critical point. Yeah, those are the ones, the differential you talked about earlier, like acute HIV, things like uh, leukemia, stuff like that. And then you get into yeah. the ages, you know, the older the person is, you know, depending on their, you know, how long they've had a sore throat for that differential really expands. Correct. Uh, it was 15 or 16 was the sort of the cutoff mm-hmm. at that time. It was an inner city medical school uh, hospital and just the people who walked in there. We confirmed it in student health later on. But yeah, that was the population. We did not study pediatrics. We never meant sure. for this to be used in pediatrics, but McIsaac did a McIsaac did sort of a adjustment for pediatrics. But right. I was really only concerned with adolescents and young adults. And uh, yeah, just a side note, I don't want to talk about the McIsaac portion too much today, but just for our listeners, uh, the modified McIsaac version has an age addition where it can be used in children greater than three years old, and there is a component of age involved, uh, either a plus one, depending on the age, a zero or a negative one, depending on how old they are. Uh, but you're exactly right. Every guideline and what I've seen too, they agree not to over-treat or over-test for pharyngitis. And I really like what you said on the Cripsiders uh, recently, which was that the Centaur score has a real value in just reassuring patients. And that plays a big role in terms of it's an assistance of your medical decision-making. It's not the only thing you do. Yeah, I think that that's been misunderstood by so many people mm-hmm. that the, mm-hmm. the greatest value of the Centaur score says, we're not, we really don't have to worry. You're going to get better in two to three days, no matter what we do, or we need to look at you more seriously because you, because you feel sick and you look sick. 
I think the, the one of the big things in emergency medicine is to think about separative complications. And I, I'm talking mostly about adolescents and young adults, although mm-hmm. uh, pre-adolescents can get peritonsillar abscess, but it, it really peaks in the 15 to 30 age group. And that's where your careful exam really makes a difference. You really do have to go see the patient. You can't just look at a rapid test. And you want to look for asymmetry. And you guys know the physical findings that you see with uh, peritonsillar abscess, but that's really important because you want to treat those uh, rather aggressively. The other thing you want to do is with adolescents and young adults is to worry about a rare complication. And, and I've written a lot about Lemaire syndrome. But just to remind your listeners, Lemaire syndrome usually usually diagnosed about five days or so after the onset of the sore throat. And it's, just, and it's unusual because most sore throats get better within three to five days no matter what you do. And they're getting worse. So anybody who's had a sore throat for three to five days and is getting worse, you worry about. Because Lemaire's is an extension usually of the back, anaerobic bacteria, Fusobacterium necrophorum, into the internal jugular vein causing a separative thrombophobitis. You can sometimes see neck swelling, and you can tell that's in the internal jugular vein. But once it gets in there, it acts just like endocarditis because it causes bacteremia. And because it causes bacteremia, it causes rigors, and rigors are violently shaking chills. That's a big red flag. So the red flags are the sore throat's not getting better. We better think about it. They have swelling on one side of the, of the neck. We better think about it. And if they have rigors, we ought to give IV antibiotics and get scared and, and call someone to admit them. And the test to get is either a, an ultrasound, if you're really good at it, because you might be able to see the clot in the uh, internal jugular vein and also see the peritonsillar abscess, or if you're not good at ultrasound, a CT of the neck is also indicated in that very small subset of patients that, you know, you're going to see one, one a year in a busy emergency department. Uh, mm. Well, you see more than that for peritonsillar abscess, but the Lemaire syndrome is going to be somewhat unusual, but you don't want to miss it because it has such devastating consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us in, in, in the emergency department, you know, when we see sore throats, you know, the first thing that popped to our mind are, you know, what's going to, you know, what are the complications that the, you know, the, the things that are one going to kill you. And, and what I tell my learners, 90% of sore throats usually are viral. And then from there you get into the strep pharyngitis, um, epiglottitis, the retropharyngeal abscess, peritonsillar abscess, and Lemire's. And you can usually break those down by the age of the patient and a lot of their other symptoms. And I mean, using the center score, you know, kind of helps you break those down, you know, what's viral. The one thing it doesn't do, though, that you might get mad is, is which ones should get dexamethasone. And I know I've heard, <laughs> heard you talk about it before, but, you know, I've seen studies that show, you know, if you give one person with strep pharyngitis dex- dexamethasone and the other, you know, penicillin, uh, the person will feel better almost a day sooner with the dexamethasone. I'm not saying that's going to treat it, but, it, you know, those people who have big, juicy tonsils and exudates, I'm not saying I give it to everybody, but it's just something that I know that helps, you know, those well, patients. Yeah, I think it helps. It, it probably does help in the short run, but there are a number of studies about the long, long-term long effects of even that short course of steroids. There was an article in the Annals of Internal Medicine in July 
showing that there was an increase in sepsis, an increase in GI bleeding, even just from dose of, of uh, steroids. So I'm against it. I'm not going to convince all, all the emergency <laughs> medicine physicians in the country. Um, and that's okay. We don't have to agree on is, everything. Is there is there an age, 15 to a 30-year-old? I mean, are, are those side effects less with that age group? Um, I guess I hadn't seen that, but I'd love to I, look at it. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. They're going to get better pretty fast anyway. And actually, if they have strep and, and they have a score of three or four, there was a study back in 2000, they get better two days earlier with penicillin alone, with strep. The other big thing you miss if all you do is a rapid test is you miss group C strep. And group C strep, again, for some reason... The, uh, group C strep and fusobacterium pharyngitis really only occur mostly in that 15 to 30 year age group. It's totally irrelevant in preadolescence. Mm-hmm. And when I say 15 to 30, you can be fuzzy on the ends of that. That you know, a, a mature 13 or 14 year old fits, and a, sort of a young 31, 32 fits. But those people are the ones who you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to say that's probably one of the most common cultures that I get back is. Um, non-group A beta hemolytic strep and I'm always like what do I do with that because you look on the IDSA guidelines and it doesn't really give you a good recommendation on what to do because it's a throat colonizer so it's like all right is that just an innocent bystander or is this viral I didn't know what your your thoughts on treating that so if all you get back is non-group A strep you don't know because group B is probably probably just a carrier state but group C can cause very serious sore throats and I've I've had to admit people who had group C pharyngitis. It does cause peritonsal abscess, and it probably causes acute rheumatic fever, but acute rheumatic fever is so rare in this country that that most experts don't think that that's the reason we should be treating sore throats right now. The reason we, the reason to give antibiotics is to decrease the risk of separative complications, whether mm-hmm. it be peritonsal abscess or Lemaire's. And N equals 200 or so? I mean, is that kind of the... The, the number that I've heard thrown around for, you know, uh, preventing a superlative complication. Yeah, pr- probably something like that. Now, the good things that they have group A or group C, uh, they get better faster with antibiotics. I suspect fusobacterium does too, but we'll never prove that or probably n- no time soon because we can't diagnose it most of the time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, unless you're doing anaerobic cultures, which we don't do around here. There's some labs in Denmark that do that. I'll send it out. It's a send out from Denmark. <laughs> I've seen um, some things on um, EM Crit where he does some things on um, um, rheumatic fever, and he puts up stats that you have to treat 2 million strep throats to prevent one case of rheumatic fever, and then 6 million cases of strep throat to prevent one case of rheumatic heart disease. And that's, I guess, nowadays just the living conditions are better. It's less of a complication. And so I don't know if you've ever heard those numbers before, but I saw that and I was like, whoa. Yeah, there are uh, a number of European countries who say, well, it's just a sore throat, the hell with you. We're not going to do anything. They don't test, they don't treat, nothing. Because they think the only reason to treat is to prevent rheumatic fever and it doesn't occur much anymore. I think the separative complications really are pretty legitimate. And even the Cochrane collaboration says that we decrease separative complications. You know, one of the more interesting things is that the bacterial flora, as we've been mentioning so far, it changes in adolescence, as you mentioned in, in previous podcasts, is that group A is no longer the predominant, even though that's the blanket answer from everyone that talks about 
pediatrics is group A strep is the most common bacterial cause of pharyngitis. And that may be true for children, but not the case for young adults, you know, 15 to 30 ish. And uh, as you also said, this could be another board question in terms of peritonsillar abscesses and lamiers. The most common cause is not strep. It's fusobacterium. It's anaerobes. The answer on the test says polymicrobial. That's probably what they're going for. But in general, if they're isolating that one bacteria in anaerobe or fusobacterium, probably the correct answer. So here's a really, really good pearl for emergency physicians. Sure. In pre-adolescence, if, if they think they're penallergic, going to azithromycin is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that in adolescents and young adults because there's a risk that you're trying to treat fusobacterium and it's resistant to macrolides. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you really want to stick with the penicillin. If they're, if they're sure they're, they're penicillin allergic and they're really sick, I go to clindamycin. I don't like to do that because most people who say they're penallergic really aren't. About nine, 90% of them are not. But if I think they're really sick, and I'm talking about someone who's a four and looks bad, and you've mm-hmm. seen those people. The, most mm-hmm. people coming with sore throats don't look bad, but a few look really bad. Then I, then I would uh, pull out the, the clindamycin. Right, right. And then other causes I saw that of, uh, you know, everyone in emergency medicine probably thinks adolescent pharyngitis, you have to have gonorrhea on your list too. And I saw that that's a rare cause. It's not even in the top couple of groups, but it it's more likely to cause septicemia and arthritis, as you said. Right. So GC grows in the throat, but usually does not cause a sore throat. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing, I know this has been stressed a lot, is if someone comes in with mono-like syndrome and has a negative monospot test, and there's reason to think about it, and the fact that they're an adolescent or a young adult is reason to think about it, go ahead and look for HIV, and you actually have to do uh, viral titers because they have not developed the antibody yet. If you diagnose acute HIV, that's a very treatable disease, and so you're a hero when you find that. So if you have someone who has that mono-like syndrome in the adolescent young adult group and you're worried about them, go ahead and, and check for the virus. Absolutely. Hey, the good news is is that it's still susceptible to penicillin. You know, it should be our, our go-to and you know, and maybe in kids, give it a mock, you know, they can get amoxicillin because it's in a liquid, but you know, penicillin the go-to, just like still syphilis and now fusobacterium. So, you know, it kind of covers all our bases. Well, the good thing about amoxicillin is uh, the IDSA guidelines say you can give it once a day. And so for adolescents and young adults, that'd be 875 once a day. This is one of the few infections that you really do need to give seven days of antibiotics to. You don't need seven days for pneumonia, but you need seven days for uh, for bacterial pharyngitis, and that's been and that, and that actually has shown up in studies, which is really diff- different. There's a whole lot of short course stuff going on, but it doesn't work for this. Yeah, that was really surprising when I first saw that, and you mentioned that on the podcast. I would I could have sworn that would be even you know because I feel like most of the research now in it, antibiotic treatments is it's almost always overestimated. In a lot of cases, and this was one of the <laughs> rare cases I listened to. I was like, "Oh, whoops!" <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I, I actually you know one, one of the big advocates of short course, uh, Brad Spellberg, who's tremendous, and I've had that conversation with him, mm-hmm. and he agrees. Sore throats are different, right? Yeah, I think the more more interesting debate, uh, as you said, was you know, and we're shifting back to children, I guess now, which is great, is that you know the the first debate in children is actually doing the central criteria, knowing that zero to one doesn't need antibiotics. And then really the second debate is that if the test is positive, are antibiotics really even needed at all? 
in a lot of cases. And um, and I found that a really interesting discussion you said in the previous podcast. This is getting beyond boards, of course, but just interesting for emergency medicine and urgent care because, unfortunately, as Travis can attest to, we're in a situation where the expectations for antibiotics are almost in the Bible, I think, of parents coming in and saying, we know antibiotics are needed for ear infections and for throat infections. Uh, we expect them. And so that changing culture, I think, would it's going to, I don't know if it'll ever happen. Uh, but from what I understood from your decision making that treating for strep in children is not really phrematic fever at all, which we all can agree on. The rate is so low. It's to decrease PTA rate. Uh, it's because of the decreased spread in the household you mentioned. There's increased risk of infecting others. And yeah, the, the, the school note. And really, and parental demand. <laughs> yeah, I, I think de- decreasing spread in the household is is really a good reason. If if they really have strep, uh, right? There's such a high carry rate in kids; you never really know. Yeah. Well, also framing it. Hey, I have some good news. You're not going to need antibiotics for this. I mean, this is wonderful news. So you know, you, therefore, you don't you don't have to risk for any of those antibiotic related complications. So you know, if you frame it in a positive way, you know, maybe maybe they'll leave happy. Now, uh. One last thing I want to get into before we uh, uh, call today is a rapid strep test, because I feel like, you know, a lot of people take tests at face value, and they don't understand the full implications and the full sensitivity and specificity of these tests. So the rapid strep test is testing usually for the antigen uh, of strep. Mm -hmm. In order to be done right, it requires that you collect the swab properly. We know that's not always done. So one reason for false negatives is inadequate swab. Another is just collection sampling error. And another is the test is not that great. It's probably, we published a study recently that suggested that a sensitivity of about 80%. Now the specificity is really good. So if you get a positive strep, there's strep there. Now in adolescents and young adults, that probably means infection. In childhood, that could be carrier state. And that's why you don't want to test people who have such a low probability of having a strep infection right. that it's probably false positive in terms of infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just they say carrier rate at right around, is it like 15, 17%? Yeah, in, in, in pre-adolescence, in adolescence, we, we actually did carrier state te- testing back in the 80s when I did my studies, and uh, it was 1% in adolescents and young adults. And it's hmm. 15 to 17 percent in uh, all the kitty studies. Hmm. Interesting. Um, what about uh, COVID sore throats? I know now we, we, you know, everything's COVID until proven otherwise. Every complaint that comes into the ER is COVID. Uh, I had a vomiting blood last night turn into COVID, um, <laughs> which, you know, the guy, he had dementia. But I guess sore throat is a symptom of it. Um, yeah. And you got to you got to take, I guess, the age of the patient. I know my, my wife told me that she's like, oh, her her aunt had a sore throat in Panama City like three weeks ago. They, she went to urgent care. They tested her for COVID and strep. The strep came back positive and she's on penicillin. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't seem right. She's like 55. And uh, three days later, they called her and her COVID test was positive. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. So so that's a great point, Travis. And I think this this is really important. Sore throats become increasingly less common as you get past your 30s. Hmm. Uh, so an old guy like me, if I get a sore throat, that probably is something weird. Because <laughs> we just don't get sore throats. I guess 
or tonsils have atrophied from too many infections by then or something. I don't really, I don't understand the biology of why adolescents are so different than uh, pre-adolescents and why as we get older, we get less sore throats. But in in a 50 year old, I'd be very worried about COVID. Mm -hmm. The world we live in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let me uh, summarize some of these things we've been talking about, uh, Bob, and you correct me and stop me if there's something incorrect or something you want to add. That'd be great. I've assembled a list of things that I feel are going to be the most popular on board test questions. So we've already mentioned calculating the centaur is something you absolutely have to do on boards. And then we've mentioned that you shouldn't be using the same strategies. Uh, This is more of a real life pearl, I guess, but uh, we're happy to give those for free too. Uh, You don't want to use the same strategies in kids compared to young adults uh, in terms of assuming the, knowing the flora differences and knowing the complication differences. Uh, higher complication rate young adults and adolescents due to the, as you mentioned, PTA, Lamiere's uh, complications. The second board point is the single best predictor of bacterial pharyngitis is tonsil exudates. And the reason I say this is, and Travis can attest to this, I'm sure you can too in your board experience, board questions love asking out of clinical scores, what's the highest you know rating concerning thing? Like you know, for the Wells criteria, they're gonna ask you what's the most concerning thing there. You know, this is one of those things I think they're going to completely ask you, like, what is the the most predictive value of the Centaur criteria, and that would be tonsillar exudates. Absolutely. Um, the third point would be, as we mentioned, in terms of applying the Centaur criteria, all the guidelines state, if you have a score of zero to one, no need for testing. And this is something they're going to rail into you on board exams, and they're going to catch all these people who have, um, unfortunately, never learned about the Centaur criteria, or they misuse it. And they are testing everyone, rapid testing everyone that walks in the office or the ER. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Gives you nightmares, I'm sure. Waking up middle of the night. <laughs> I wake up and I hear CeeLo uh, singing to me. Crazy. It's <laughs> a great pop culture reference. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I appreciate it. The treatment asked for on the test is, as we talked about, penicillin and amoxicillin in children. And, excuse me, sorry, backing up, cephalosporins work too, as you mentioned. In children, macrolids are okay, but not older because of the uh, reason that they do not cover any of our anaerobes in, especially fusobacterium. Excellent. I'm hitting it so far. Uh, steroids are not going to be on the test, but in real life, they indirectly are used. No one really knows. Everyone's just controversial on them. The best part about this is, uh, for in terms of our podcast, is that it doesn't matter because it's not going to be on the boards. They're never going to give you a situation where you want to give steroids to somebody, it's too controversial. From what I've seen, ibuprofen always comes up. When they ask you on the test, what is going to be the best pain medication for this sore throat, and you're not giving antibiotics to, from what I've seen, it's ibuprofen. It's the wonder drug. Ibuprofen works. Greatest NSAID ever made. For young adults, we've already mentioned, I've hinted at this in the board prep already here, fusobacterium is the most common bug for um, uh, PTA. Lamiere's is much more concerning to worry about, much more common than rheumatic fever. And then one thing we didn't mention this already, which I think is, unfortunately, it's going to be mentioned on your boards, but post-strep glomerulonephritis, uh, people talk about that a lot. It's hammered in med school. It's not prevented by antibiotics. Uh, so when you're giving antibiotics, it occurs at its own rate, but at its own rate, it's super rare in children. Yeah, and it's, it's more likely to occur from skin infection than from tonsillitis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last point I have here is that if you have a young adult that is not feeling better, within a few days, with concerning symptoms that we mentioned, the rigors, the unilateral neck swelling, any pulmonary symptoms, and then five to six days of just not getting better, they should be going to probably the nearest emergency room, and there should be discussion of CT imaging or ultrasound. 
I think that you've done a wonderful job of summarizing uh, quickly what I meandered through. <laughs> this makes it simple. Zero, yeah. one, don't test. Two, you can rapid strep and then test based on your suspicion. Three and four, no test, just treat. Is that, does that? That's pretty much what I it? do. I mean, so, and I said this, I think I said this on the Cribsiders. Um, Mike Fine, who uh, created the Pneumonia Severity Index, is a good friend of mine up at, at Pittsburgh. And he said, all of these scores are tests. They're not answers. And then you have to use clinical judgment. Absolutely. So somebody looks really sick, but their scores too, but they got these big juicy exudates and they got a fever, but they're coughing a little bit and you can't feel any nodes. You might be pretty aggressive with them, mm-hmm. depending upon you've seen enough sore throats to know who you're worried about and who you're not. Absolutely. And that's what the that's what the students and residents have to learn. That's why they have to see so many sore throats. They think, oh no, another sore throat. But you have to see a lot before you get that instinct going. And that instinct is really important. The more you see, then you become emeritus. Is that right? Is there a number? Yeah. Um, the chief criteria for becoming emeritus is living a hell of a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, we love talking about clinical scores. They're popular on boards. They, I think they're helpful in the right situation. I think you sum it up great. The, the wider philosophical view of this, of this episode today uh, really goes back to don't abuse clinical scores. <laughs> and make sure you use them for the right reasons. They are developed for certain reasons, and they have certain inclusion-exclusion criteria. And, and uh, unfortunately, people just read the abstract, and they're done. And, that's what, and they use it incorrectly for the rest of their life. Of course. <laughs> anyway. Well, it was great having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. And thanks, Travis, for actually organizing all this. Uh, I owe Travis for some reason. <laughs> oh, come on. I'll come on. I'll annoy you tomorrow night on Unremarkable Labs. <laughs> Sounds great. We're doing acid base tomorrow again. So. Oh, perfect. Oh, boy. That's a medicine topic. <laughs> if you ever show up at Unremarkable Labs, you've never seen a nerd fest like this. Oh, man. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. It's awesome. I'll try to take the time to join. Sounds great. Well, y'all have a great day. Thank you, you too. Nice meeting you. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon.